You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Present your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, I've been, you can have a seat. I've been waiting such a long time to say this. Good morning, Resurrection. Oh, it's so good to be back. Uh, our family has taken a, a much needed rest, and uh, we've had a good time, a good tan, lots of fun, lots of rest, uh, but it is so good to be home. There's nothing like home, you know? And so we're, we're back. But before we got back from that, Father Perry and I were at the Provincial Assembly in Chicago. The entire province got together, um, actually, Honestly, right, like the entire communion kind of got together, 50-plus bishops from all over the world, um, thousands of people. It was amazing, really encouraging time. Um, but it, before I begin, I want to just, during all of that leave, uh, our staff and our leaders did a really amazing job in picking up all of my slack, and I'm just really deeply grateful for them. So thank you for our leaders. Very, very grateful for that. Uh, this morning, we were jumping into some light reading. In Romans, I get back, we're like, oh, we're in a series in Romans, cool, thanks for making it easy. It's a series you know, I'm jumping into it third week here, Christ in us. We've been experiencing together how being unified with Jesus changes everything, how it changes the shape of our everyday lives. It redefines who we are as people, as a community. It changes our habits, our patterns. It has the potential to restore in us the goodness of God if we participate. That's what we're looking at here in Romans. Romans 6 opens up in verse 1. If you would look at the whole chapter, John talked about this last week. It opens up with the reality of baptism. It talks about baptism. Do you remember that? Romans chapter, one, uh, chapter 6, verses 1. And in baptism, it says this. This is really critical. That in baptism, we are unified with Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. And one of the reasons I love even dunking our little babies, young and old, everybody, in that tank is because you get to see that watery grave. Makes sense. You get to see that resurrection that we join in with Christ. Now, as Paul's argument builds from the beginning of chapter six in Romans, we realize as it comes to where we are today in verse 12, that there is a, there's kind of a, a backstory going on. There's kind of an inside joke. There's a story playing in the background. It's the story of the Exodus. And once you know that and you read it again, you go, oh, there it is, it's everywhere. In chapter six. If you're not familiar with the story of the Exodus, God's people were enslaved in Egypt and they cried out to God, deliver us. We're helpless. We can't deliver ourselves. We need your help. Deliver us from under the hand of Pharaoh and his brutal oppression in our lives and in our families. So on the night of Passover, God promised to deliver his people. The spirit passed over and the people were led through the waters of the Red Sea into the land of promise, but first to the wilderness. He delivered them from slavery into freedom. Now, it wasn't just going out into the wilderness and, you know, good luck. Do whatever feels natural. Do whatever you like. You're free. No, it wasn't that kind of a deliverance, actually. Even redemption, the word redemption has this slavery connotation that you have not been bought from underneath one slave owner under the care of another slave owner. So God's redemption His deliverance of God's people was out of Egypt under Pharaoh into the wilderness under his own care, still under his care, under his leading. 
Much of the language that we find here in Romans chapter six, this is really helpful, I think, to understand Romans six. Much of the language we find here has that story playing in the background, that slavery, freedom, redemption, God's leading kind of theme playing in the back. The entire liberation narrative that we find in Romans is soaked with that Exodus story. So this is super important to keep in mind because by the time we get to verse 12 through 14, Paul reiterates something that's incredibly difficult for a once enslaved people now liberated to wrap their heads around. You are no longer under the regime of sin and death and Pharaoh, captivity. Let me read this for us. With all that in mind, let me read verse 12 for us. Let us not sin, therefore, under the reign, therefore, uh, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. That word reign is the same word, it's similar word that we use to get kingdom, basileo. Let not sin, therefore, have its kingdom, its reign, its rule over your mortal body to make you obey its passions. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. School is out, amen? Hallelujah, school is out, kids, amen? School is out, are you in school, anybody? Is no one excited about school being out? I'm super excited about school being out. Amen. Vacation, teachers, give me an amen. School is out, amen. amen. There it is. Can you imagine, now that school is out, it's summertime, can you imagine going to school tomorrow? You have been set free from the regime of homework and teachers and early mornings and schedules. Teachers, I love you, I love you. You've been re released from the regime of children in some ways. Can you imagine now Monday morning going back to school the very next, tomorrow morning? Can you imagine? You'd be there all alone. It wouldn't make any sense. Similarly, I think this was actually, and this breaks down because it's such a robust thing that Paul's trying to give to us, but in a similar way, Paul's trying to help us understand it's kind of like that, actually. You've been set free. There's a different time. It is summertime in the kingdom of God now, and you have been set free from captivity. Don't return to this old way of life. Don't go back to the same patterns and practices that you were once enslaved to. But now that you are in Christ, it's spring, it's summer. It doesn't even have a vote in the way you conduct your life anymore. No say whatsoever. You don't have to give sin the time of day. Kind of like school right now. We don't have to be at its beck and call doing whatever its schedule determines for us to do. We are a free people from sin. This news of our freedom, of our redemption from sin, won by our Messiah, Jesus Christ, isn't, this isn't news, this isn't a kind of story that really shares the spotlight with other kinds of news and other kinds of stories in our lives. This is the story of our lives. It doesn't play well with other stories, in fact. Philosophers, this claims the meta-narrative of all other narratives in our lives. This consumes every other identity, every other story, everything we think determines something about us. This story determines it, actually. It's not one reality among a few other realities. 
taking its place neatly among, among a, a world, hospitably among a bunch of other world beliefs and worldviews and religious or cultural or family experiences or work experiences. It doesn't take its seat among those as equals this story, this news. The grace, listen church, the grace of God given freely to all who believe isn't one gift among a bunch of other gifts. This is the gift that determines every other gift. This is the story that determines every other story. You can be a really happy person still enslaved in Pharaoh's Egypt and you're still a slave of Egypt. You're still a slave of Pharaoh. But fundamentally, if you've been freed from slavery, you have changed, your identity has changed, your life has changed. Now happiness looks different under the regime of freedom, doesn't it? Than under sin and oppression. Your life completely changes. This is, this is like mind-blowing. This should be hard for us to wrap our heads around. How are we free from the regime of sin? I still sin like every day, I see it. What God has done in Jesus is radically inclusive of us. If it wasn't, none of us would have a way in. All who put their trust in him are brought in to the fold with Jesus, brought into his life. This is radical inclusion, and we love that. That's easy for us to wrap our head around. Everybody's welcome. But this radical inclusion, what Paul is saying here in Romans 6, this radical inclusion of Jesus to come and find us in our sin, in our brokenness, and redeem us. This radical inclusion is paired with, and it has, to, has only been matched up with, this exclusivity, this radical exclusivity of the Christian holiness. This radical inclusion, can I say this again? Has to be matched up with the radical exclusivity of Christian holiness. We're included in the grace of God. Should we go on sinning then? No, not at all. Our lives should be holy. They should take on the sweet fragrance of the kingdom, the goodness of God. We do things the way God does things. This is what Paul's arguing for. How do we live our lives? Over here, on this side of freedom, under this generous, radical inclusivity of God and his grace through Christ, how do we live a life under that kind of a grace? Paul writes, he says this in verse 13. Here's how you do it. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. How do we live a life under grace? Present yourselves to God. Present yourselves to God to be used as his instrument of righteousness. When we do that, when we live in this place of God's grace, when we present our whole life, full time, wholeheartedly, everything about us, to the kingship of God, his rule and reign. His grace is like a living stream in our lives. It begins to water the garden of our life. Our lives, our bodies, everything we love, all of it has to be thrown into full-time service. Not part-time, not spectating, full-time participation in the grace of God and the way he does things in the world. His will in our life, what he wants for us. His way of doing things. Now, if we could just be real for a second, the cliche that is so prevalent in our day and time here, even in Austin, Texas, is this really fashionable spiritual slogan, God accepts me right where I am, right? Right, right? You've heard that before, seen on bumper stickers, t-shirts, whatever, and that's good. 
That's good. It's true. In fact, if that wasn't true, praise God, none of us would be in the kingdom of God. He has to accept us right where we are. Otherwise, because we can't help ourselves. But this is only a half truth, actually, I think. And when you only get this one side of it, you get this slanted view of God's grace. Yes, God's grace accepts you right where you are. But God's grace always transforms. God's grace never leaves you right where you are. God's grace always transforms. And you can know that you understand and receive and participate with the grace of God when you see your life transforming beyond your control, beyond your own abilities. God's grace always transforms. This crucifixion one freedom that we get to enjoy and participate and live under accepts you right where you are with all the baggage, all the anger problems, all the financial troubles, all the marital and relational and friendship, every problem you've got, all that baggage behind you in your life right now, God's grace finds you there. But it transforms all of that as well. It doesn't leave you there. In other words, freedom in Christ doesn't mean that God just kind of cuts all the baggage from us and says, okay, now, now go into the wilderness and lead this directionless life, uh, doing whatever comes natural to you, whatever seems right or good to you, as Disney so often concludes, like whatever's in your heart. Our hearts are so deceiving. The problem with our world right now is everyone's doing what, thinks, what, what feels good to them. And we end up killing each other for it appeasing the very next desire or whim that comes to us, that strikes us, those hopes that we have, those dreams that we have, that we're not willing to let go. This is not what Christ has set us free to do. In fact, if you can kind of think real deeply about this, if Christ has set us free from sin and now we serve our hopes and our dreams and our passions and our loves, we're only trading one form of slavery for another. Now who's calling the shots? Our ideals, maybe. Our hopes. And they can be just as oppressive as sin itself. But if we present ourselves to God, what if we presented ourselves to God? To be instruments of his righteousness. Church, there's a reason that when we begin the service, we don't say, blessed be our hopes, our dreams, our retirement, Blessed be all the things I'm gonna do on Sunday today, this free time that I've got in summer. Blessed be all that, my agenda. No, what do we say when we begin the service? Blessed be God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you all say, and blessed be his kingdom, now and forever, as if to punctuate, yes, blessed be God, but blessed be his kingdom that is coming to earth and reigns in our lives. You people admit this. You say this, you know this, you understand it. I think you believe it. I've seen it in your lives. Blessed be his kingdom now and forever. We say this because Jesus's death and his resurrection, it's not some allegory. It's not some like really inspirational story that helps us to live into our own hopes and dreams a little bit better. If it was that, we would all be in a heap of trouble. We would have no hope in fact. But this proclamation, blessed be God, the God who has invited us to participate, not in just some intellectual way, not in some recollective kind of way, but actually participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus, being unified in baptism, as Paul said in the very beginning of this chapter. 
You don't get to look at it, you get to participate in it. We share, therefore, in our sin being put to death in the grave. We share, therefore, in the resurrection of life that Jesus has won for us. This is who we are. Our souls and bodies now belong to Jesus and his kingdom. So what to do? We could rephrase what Paul is saying. What to do with these resurrected souls and bodies? How do we live? By doing what's natural to us? No. We present ourselves as instruments of righteousness, presenting ourselves to God to be used as instruments of righteousness. Now, one, one key thing I think to understand about this word righteousness doesn't mean morality. It doesn't mean good works. It doesn't mean um, good deeds or saying positive things or thinking positively. That's not righteousness. That's everything else I just named that it was. Righteousness here in the scriptures is what has been revealed by God in his Messiah. Righteousness is a person. It's a name. And this name, this person, has won for us freedom. Righteousness has won righteousness for us. Friends, what concerns me about all of this in Romans um, that we here read today, that I'm preaching at you today, I, you know, even in getting to the sermon here in preparation, I, I sat back and thought, you know, I don't think the problem here is that we don't understand what Paul's saying fully. Maybe, I mean... Maybe that's part of the problem. It would be helpful to have good theology and thoughtful care of scripture. I mean, that's foundational. That's where we begin. But when it comes to like the matters of our lives, the patterns, the habits that we have, do you really think it's that we haven't read Paul in Romans 6 close enough? Certainly would help. I'm not saying that at all. I think when we read the scriptures, when we read Romans 6, we go, oh, well, I don't have idols in my house, Sean. I haven't killed anybody recently. You know, so I'm right there with you. I'm living in righteousness. No, we're way too smart for that. We're way, we were, we're way more clever with our lives than that. It's not that our, I'm not even concerned with our, our church attendance. I'm not concerned with the way that you serve each other. I'm not concerned with the way you express generosity and giving. I'm not concerned with the way you serve. I'm not concerned with even the lives you're living at work as much as I'm concerned with our tendency to present ourselves to other things that are not God. Fundamentally, I'm concerned for our church and for me that we present ourselves to idols, to things that are not God that don't deserve our being presented to them, right? And that's kind of the ground floor. This is like ground zero, floor one of the Christian life, presenting yourselves to God to be used for his good purposes that are ongoing in the world. Friends, whatever you present yourself to will use you as its instrument. Even if it's like really good things, like let's say a human rights thing. Wonderful. Christians should be the first ones advocating for human rights. We should be leading the charge always. But the reason we're leading the charge isn't because we present ourselves first to human rights concerns. The reason we're leading the charge is because we present ourselves to God who has made us in his image and called us to love one another. The ordering is super critical and it matters. We're often um, not unfaithful to God. I'm gonna say it another way. We're not unfaithful to God in super obvious ways. Ways, for instance, that we recognize is like, that is pure sin. That is pure evil. We present ourselves more subtly. We sin a little bit more cleverly by presenting ourselves to things that are not God. Good hopes. 
like really good ideals. Dreams that we know are like pretty good dreams, even to benefit other people. We present ourselves undiscerning to things that are not God. And that's where the breakdown happens. If you look at the everyday schedule of our lives and you, you find that you present yourself to the things that are not God. For instance, we look at social media and we think, oh good, everyone likes what I'm saying and they like me, I'm good, I'm accepted. Subtle, isn't it? With a few clicks, we can look at our bank account balance, maybe our retirement account and go, oh, everything's gonna be okay. That's presenting yourself to something other than God. It's good. I mean, we need to save. We need money. We need to be responsible. We need to like present ourselves well on Facebook. But you can tell when your hopes and your dreams and your loves are attached to something that is not God and you find this fulfillment, the security, the safety that is misplaced. Maybe you uh, use substances to think, okay, good. Things are, things are a little less stressful now. I'm gonna dull out for a minute. Maybe you talk down to others and think, good. Now they know what they did wrong. They deserved that. Maybe at work, you put your time in and you've worked so hard and you think, good, I've almost got what's gonna make me happy. I'm almost there, just right around the corner. You name it, whatever you present yourself to will use you as its instrument. And friends, here's what Paul, where Paul lands in our chapter. He says, whatever it is you present yourself to, it will pay you its wages. And if it's not God, it's sin. Categorically, you get two choices. It's either God or it's sin. And if you're presenting yourself to sin, it will pay you its wages and its wages is death. It's where it leads. But the gift of God is eternal life. Only God gives what we don't deserve and that we all so deeply desire. Verse 23, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Christ, we receive eternal life. Even beginning now, we get to participate in this life. We're set free, not as instruments of sin and wickedness and brokenness and violence in the world, but as instruments of God in his kingdom. We get to actually participate in the way God does things in the world. So present yourselves to God as living sacrifices, Paul would later say to be put to work for his good ongoing purposes in the world. Church, may we as a community, as individuals, as people, may we realize that we belong to Christ in baptism, that it's actually taken effect in our lives. That's who we are. And he is the only righteous one and we're in him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the only good one. The only one who is perfectly living out, fulfilling and unveiling the goodwill of God for the world and his kingdom. And we, we're with him. We're in him, in fact. So whatever's declared over him is declared over us. That's who we are. So we're set free to live in that reality. May we not be a community that's just so busy, so tired and unrested, so saturated with activity in life or preoccupied or distracted that we can't devote ourselves and present ourselves first and foremost to God, that we'd be used as instruments of his righteousness. We've got to fight for that, folks. It doesn't come naturally 
to a bunch of broken people like us. Trust me, I'm like the perfect example. It does not come naturally to me. Before we come to receive the grace of God that's being extended to us in a real way, even now this morning at the altar, through the body and blood of Jesus Christ, let's take a time to stand and announce our faith of what's true, who we are, whose we are, And let's take a moment to get on our knees together and in silence reflect on the ways that we have presented ourselves to other things other than God. And in so doing, here's the invitation. When we proclaim what is true, when we confess what we've done wrong, guess what greets us on the other end? The grace of God. The real grace of God, not in some sentimental, religious sentimental kind of way but this actual grace of God comes into our lives and covers us, that we would then stand in the righteousness of Christ and be used as instruments of his righteousness. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment to be quiet and allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.